0: And maybe this is the reason for there being so many different guys you feel like you have to evaluate. The consensus is all over the place on a lot of these guys. And the depth of the draft seems to be pretty strong. Welcome into the Titans 10. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, a broadcaster and writer with Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Podcast Network. Joined, as always by James Foster of No Flags Film on Twitter, on YouTube, on Patreon. James, hello. Hello, Easton. We have, I'm, I'm really excited about today's topic. It's Project Prospects. And I'm not just excited because it's an alliterative title, um, though it is. Project Prospects, we've got a guy at each position uh, across the draft board here. One per position, guys that you, we have deemed Project. Now, I want to, before we get into the actual list, I want to define what we mean by project prospects, right? Because any, I guess ultimately any unrefined player could technically be a project. Um, I'm a project at quarterback, technically, because Lord knows I need a lot of work to be an NFL quarterback, and that's not happening. But these are guys that not only need some work, but I'm I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, these are guys that you have labeled as really high traits or really high, maybe athletic ability, really high athletic testing numbers. There's something about them that really attracts
1: you as a, as a player. Right. I would define a project as somebody that has um, impressive physical traits for their position uh, sometimes rare physical traits for their position, but, they are lacking in skill in a way that gives, would give me serious pause about drafting them.
0: Okay. So these are, these are guys, and that's an interesting um qualification there. That These aren't necessarily projects that you would say you got, I mean, depending on where you are in the draft, pull the trigger because those traits are just, Oh undeniable.
1: no, these are, yeah, these are not, uh, this is not at all like list of my guys at projects, you know, okay. I, every draft cycle, I I have, you know, maybe 15, quote, my guys, and I end up talking about them, you know, the entire process. Um, This is just a way to kind of like touch on some guys, some guys that are getting talked about a lot, some guys that are barely getting talked about at all, that sort of fit the bill of project. Okay, well, and, and with that, let's get into the list
0: here at the first position quarterback. Malik Willis, certainly a guy that you've heard about if you have paid any attention to the NFL draft process this year. He's a quarterback out of Liberty University. Um, He's a guy that, depending on who you ask, is probably one or two on different people's draft uh, QB draft boards. Now, I know he's not number one or two on on yours, I believe, unless you've changed it. But he's a guy that has crazy potential, or so they say, um, but is super unrefined. Talk to me a little bit about Malik.
1: Yeah, so I have right now. I have Malik Willis as QB three behind Matt Corral and Sam Howell. Okay. Um, and you know he's he's just a really tough one because I just keep coming back to the age thing and the fact that he's a redshirt senior and like at this, you know, when he was a junior, he was the third string quarterback at Auburn. When mm. Sam Howell's a junior, he's getting drafted in the first or second round, most likely. Um, you know, it's true. Like he he makes he makes throws um, that probably none of the other quarterbacks in this class outside of Carson Strong can. I was about make. to say, I'd say definitely. Um, his
0: some of his off platform stuff is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and I, I, it's it's not just like th- throwing the ball a certain depth down the field. It's doing stuff like you said, off, off platform defenders draped on him. you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, So like his tape, I said that he was one of the first guys I evaluated. And I said, I could show you a 15 play cut up that was, that would convince you he was Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And I could show you a 15 play cut up that says that would make you say like, wow, Hopefully, Liberty benched that quarterback. Like they, <laughs> they need to really focus on recruiting a new right. quarterback. Like, is this you know, the so spring game? Is this what am I watching? Right. Yeah, he's a guy.
0: It, it, he's a really interesting evaluation. I think that he is going to epitomize, um, especially in the first round landing spot being a dramatic and underrated element of success of draft picks or dr- prospects in the draft, right? Like he's a guy yeah, that I, I mean, especially go to the right place. Yes. Especially at quarterback. If he goes to the right place, I think his ceiling is potentially very, very high. If he manages to I mean, like Josh Allen is a unicorn, obviously, but if he manages to, to be refined in any way by a, a competent team, a, 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 a safe and hospitable um, non uh, not a team that that needs him to start anytime soon. There's a decent chance that he could turn into a really high caliber, incredibly talented quarterback in the NFL. But I think it's more likely, especially based on how high he is on a lot of people's QB draft boards, that he goes somewhere that's going to need him sooner than later. And it might just be a, a real train wreck.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned landing spots, which is an, a very important aspect of a player's success in the NFL that doesn't get discussed nearly enough. I think that the two kind of types of players where a landing spot is most important, though, is quarterback, obviously, yep. but then also sixth to seventh round, like, uh, kind of, you know, borderline NFL players, maybe they're projects, maybe they're Mm -hmm. just like a super skills type of guy. But I saw someone talking about this, you know, if you're, if you're one of these six to seventh round players, and you get you, you would almost rather go undrafted. Because if you get picked in the seventh round, you're just some teams dart throw that just like sorted by 40 yard dash and just like picked you said, hey, we'll see what happened. But if you go undrafted, then you get to pick your own destination and go to a team that would use you correctly. Like you get to kind of, uh, have some say in how your career pans out. So yeah, absolutely. so quarterbacks and late round guys, I think landing spot is super important.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if, if you, if at that point, would you rather be the seventh round drafted selection of the Detroit lions, or would you rather sign with, uh, the Buffalo bills a couple hours later? it's, it's It's
1: why there are so many more, uh, so many more undrafted free agents that have successful careers than there are sixth and seventh round picks. Exactly. Because they, they get to hand pick
0: a, a tailored experience for them where they go, where they play. Let's get to the next guy on the list. Zaquandre white running back out of South Carolina. You're higher on him than the consensus draft board by a considerable amount. You have him in the fifth round, 140 overall, the consensus consensus board has him as a seventh round guy, 235 overall. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm slowly getting the impression that you're maybe a little bit higher on this running back class as a whole than the consensus is. This is another one of those guys that you're higher on than most. What do you see in Zaquandre?
1: Hmm, that's interesting because I uh, haven't i have really thought of this running back class as one that I'm high on. Um, but that I mean, that's that'll be interesting to look at. Maybe the at consensus once, is just way once too once low on it. Like I don't... Like finalize my grades and everything. Also, I could be high on different running backs. There are some guys like Isaiah Spiller, for example, that I'm a little bit lower on. Uh, But Zaquandre White has probably my favorite NFL comp in this entire draft, and that's Montario Hardesty. If you're an OG uh, Vols fan, you'll know who Montario Hardesty is. Uh, But just, I mean, like violent cuts uh, Mm. out in the open field. He's... he looks like he's just freestyling out there. Mm. Um, very, very good vision, creativity as a runner. Um, but he's kind of the rare project of a running back. Normally the thing with running backs in the draft is that you're going to pick these guys and they can kind of come in, you know, hit the ground running and contribute immediately. Zaquandre white is not, uh, an experienced running back. He had, he got very uh, little action at South Carolina. wasn't even their starter. So, Oh, wow. He's kind of a, he's kind of a late round dart throw. It, it, it's tough to say, you know, it's tough to come up with projects at running backs because, you know, not to minimize the position, but just compared to some other positions, like there is limited skill uh, involved. When it's just so back, right? dependent like, on another, pos-
0: another position, right? It's, yeah. Right. So, yeah, he's a, he's a guy that, um, is it's interesting I didn't know I didn't know that he wasn't even the starter over there and and got limited use so maybe yeah, that's a, got... maybe that's a bad thing but maybe it's a good thing because it sounds like he may not have nearly as much tread on his tires as some other guys
1: they've got another guy Kevin something maybe he's on my list that I need to watch okay. um but yeah all right next guy on the list is a wide receiver who was
0: catching passes from Desmond Ritter this past season out of Cincinnati Alec Pierce. Uh, He's a guy that you and the consensus draft board, almost identical on third round guy in the late sixties, early seventies on the overall board. What are your thoughts on Alec Pierce?
1: Yeah. So I did my top 10 receivers video on uh, YouTube, which if you haven't seen that, definitely go check it out. Um, Break, break down some film as I'm kind of talking about the players. Uh, But Alec Pierce did not make my top 10 And I've actually gotten uh, a ton of comments about like people surprised that Alec Pierce uh, didn't make the top 10. And I was just very underwhelmed, not necessarily with his tape, but just kind of his, his profile as a draft prospect. So he's six foot three, 211 pounds, 33 inch arms. Uh, He's got a 93rd percentile vert jump, 40 and a half inches, 44140 4, 97th percentile 10 yard split like this is a explosive linear athlete. Oh yeah. And he had a first round quarterback throwing him the ball and had 52 receptions for 873 yards against kind of mid competition. It's like I feel like someone with his athletic profile and uh, being in such a good situation in, in Luke Fickle's offense, like right, should have and been a lot more productive. He, yeah. You know, and I, I thought that for someone who's kind of labeled as this jump ball, go get it type of guy, I didn't think his ball skills were that great. I didn't think he was as physical at the catch point as you would like him to be. Um, and then the other thing is he doesn't produce after the catch. And this is something that immediately st- stuck out to me um, when I was watching his film. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I compiled a list of tw- the top 21 wide receiver prospects in the NFL draft and ranked them uh, by some different yak metrics. So yards after the catch per reception yards after contact per reception miss tackles forced per reception and then kind of ranked just how they how they stacked up there. Chris Olave was by far, well not by far, but he was the worst uh receiver out of those 21 after the catch. Alec Pierce was the second worst. You know, he had 0.08 miss tackles forced per reception, which I think ultimately translates to two miss tackles forced, which like a miss tackle forced is a broken tackle or juking someone, you know, right. stiff arm, whatever. So like forcing two missed tackles on 52 receptions is kind of, kind of bonkers to me. I don't know. I, I just, I don't see it with Alec Pierce, man.
0: Well, and I, based on that description, I definitely don't see it with the Titans. Um, if they were to be looking in the third round for a receiver at that point, maybe they went offensive line in the first round doesn't sound like he's going to be very high on their list based on those uh, yards after the
1: catch numbers. I mean, he could be. You know, the his, thing is, the thing size. with the draft is that everybody's got access to the same film, and everybody has comes away with different evaluations. I mean, I if I would have given you a description of Des Fitzpatrick you would have probably had the same reaction like, oh yeah, well, no way the Titans like him. Well, apparently they loved him. Well, but he was a bigger bodied guy. He actually was able to well, break tackles a Well, I mean, Alex Alec, amount, Alec no? Pierce, is six, Alec Pierce is six foot three two 209 I think. So, I mean, oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. I'm i not sure where I had it in my head that he was sub 200. Okay, I'm I'm no, yeah, I'm no thinking he's a different receiver.
1: He's not lacking for size at all. He's... Okay, he's, interesting. He has everything the from the catch, physical profile. He just for... doesn't produce after the catch. Doesn't you know, run very effective routes, in my opinion. Uh, his route tree was pretty limited, so yeah, he's he's a guy that I'm out on, but yeah. okay. Well, here's a here this next guy I, I
0: believe that you and uh, definitely I'll speak for myself. I am in on, uh, potentially, and for the Titans, that is. And I think a lot of Titans, uh, nation, Titans Twitter, Titans fans, Titans media are in on this guy, especially after the monster numbers he was putting up at the combine. It's Jelani woods tight end from Virginia. The consensus board has him as a third round pick as do you, but you have him 30 spots higher on your board. So I know that you're higher than, than the consensus. I'm big on this guy as a potential third round pick for the
1: Titans. Tell me a little bit about Jelani. Yeah. So Jelani woods, uh six foot seven 34 and a half inch arms, uh, ran a, a uh, 46140 yard dash which is 88th percentile. He's got this that kind of like basketball, you know, former basketball player type of build. I don't think he actually is a former basketball player. Um he 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 doesn't play up to his combine numbers, I will say. Like he ran a 6913 cone, which is 90th percentile. He's way stiffer than that on tape to me. Uh he's also a redshirt senior who was a non-factor in uh, Oklahoma state's offense before he transferred to Virginia had a lot of production and a pretty uh, prolific passing offense there this year. So like I, the, the, the naysayers, the anti Jelani woods people, I do see and agree with elements of their argument against him. But when I just, which really would really break what? it down. Well, that he's stiff. He's uh, he, he, like Zach Lyons compares him to a moose. I I kind of like the newborn giraffe comparison. Sometimes it doesn't really look like he's in full control of his, his build. But, you know, and then also like the fact that he's a redshirt senior age is a big thing. Um, and then probably not going to be a great blocker. It's tough to be a, a really good blocker as a six foot seven tight end because most guys at that height just can't get low enough to really the leverage just create the necessary amount of leverage. So, yeah, I mean, I, there, there are issues with Jelani woods. I think when I, at the beginning of the process, when I first watched him, I was like, Oh, this is tight end one. I've kind of uh he's my tight end three right now. Cade Otten. Uh, I've, I revisited his film this week and uh was definitely too low on him. Needed to bump him up. And then uh, the Colorado State kid, uh, Trey McBride, is just mm-hmm. solid all around. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting tight end class. Not not a, not a very good one, though, in my opinion. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I
0: feel like you're saying that for every position, but then I've also heard you say that, and I agree with you, this draft just in
1: general, not the it's, greatest. It's a weird draft because there's so many players. There's, a, there's so many old players, too, because of the yeah. – the extra year for the NCAA. I mean, I know it's by far the biggest draft just in terms of sheer number of players. So it, it is kind of weird because normally I have like, you know, 28 to 32, uh, fifth round grades on players, for example, but I've got like 41 right now because there's just so many like solid guys that have, you know, certain drawbacks or whatever that I'm like, yeah, fifth round, you know, so. It'll be interesting to see. I
0: feel like with a draft that maybe the the high end is a little bit more sparse in terms of elite uh, instant impact can't miss players. It's, it's led to, and maybe this is the reason for there being so many different guys. You feel like you have to evaluate the consensus is all over the place on a lot of these guys and the depth of the draft seems to be pretty strong Although that might be a result of different people liking a lot of different people because it's kind of a, a real crap shoot of a year. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out the next guy on the list. And we got to get, we got to get moving through here. we got a couple, uh, we're not even halfway through yet. I don't think Nicholas Petit Fr- Frere. How do you, do you know how to say this guy's name?
1: Yeah, so I'm just gonna I just go with like overdoing the French accent. So Nicholas Petit <laughs> Yeah, you just <laughs> have to exhale. It's yeah. okay. All right, coffee. No, I'm gonna write that down real quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Nicholas Petit Friere, which is He's an offensive I think tackle, is, by the way, from Ohio State. Yeah, some people know. Offensive tackle from Ohio State, former five-star, six foot five, uh three sixteen, solid arm length, um, solid testing all around he has a terrible anchor. He like, he gets pushed back by anyone. It seems like actually not anyone because I have pulled up here. Uh, this is going to be some insight into my scouting process. So when okay. I'm watching Nicholas Petit Friere, and I'm trying to watch three games, I will go to his PFF profile. And first thing I'll do is I'll watch him against the best competition. And then I want to watch his highest graded game and his lowest graded game just so that I can make sure that I'm not, you know, giving like a misguided evaluation because I just happen to watch his three worst games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of get a good sample size of where he wins, where he loses. Um, These are Nicholas Petit-Friere's PFF pass blocking grades out of 12 games. And I'm not going to read all of them, but he's got 12 games, nine of them. His pass blocking grade is above 75, which is really good. Holy cow. And then, Against Michigan, who has Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, he graded as a 7.7. 7. <laughs> against Penn State, who has Arnold Ebiketti and uh, that other dude that I'm not a fan of, can't remember his name, grades as a 17.5. And then Minnesota with Boyamafe grades as a 57.5. So he's definitely someone that when the lights were the brightest and he was facing the best competition, he crumbled. And then what he does is... That's a tough scene he turns down a senior bowl invite because he said that he put the evidence on tape and it's like the evidence on no. tape is that, like not great. dude. That, like if, if whenever you are going up against real NFL competition, you're having your worst performances. Like when I hang on, maybe he was agreeing. You probably maybe to- he was,
0: maybe he was saying the evidence <laughs> on the tape is that I don't do
1: well against these guys that are at the senior bowl. And that's why I'm not going could be. And I mean, you know, the point of that is, is not to like rail on Nicholas Petit-Friere. It's just to say that like, you're kind of, I my my one sentence write up for Nicholas Petit-Friere and my draft guide is drafting Petit-Friere is betting that you can unlock the elite potential he failed to reach in college. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's going to be an interesting guy. Like I know Vach Lombardi's really high on him. Uh, I really like Vach's... Really respect his opinion, but uh, again, gonna have to disagree with that one. Okay, interesting. I'd be happy. i mean, Vach is a he's a uh,
0: Cowboys guy, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm happy. Head on over to the Cowboys. I mean, have at it in the NFC East. Um, I, I hate that entire conference. You'll learn more about that during the rest of the season. But, um, Cam Jurgens, next guy on the list, interior offensive lineman out of Nebraska. He is on the consensus board a fourth overall, uh, 112 overall fourth round pick. On your board, a 79 overall third round pick. So you're a little bit higher on him. He's another guy that if you are familiar with the Titans mock draft scene, he's a he's a common uh, he's a regular on the Titans mock draft scene, and and uh, he's a guy that it, I think is maybe not a consensus, but there's there's a lot to say about him when when you've got a, a lineman consistently going in the later rounds probably a decent chance i don't know i guess what i'm trying to say is lineman in the later rounds is usually a real crapshoot so being drawn towards those one or two guys that are consistently shown in in different mock drafts of, of people that are more notable i guess um like the it's probably a decent indicator that they may actually be worth your pick, if that makes any sense. do you do you get what I'm saying? Do you agree at all? Do you think yeah, Kim I mean, I might think, have an NFL think career?
1: Offensive tackle, you're right that later round tackles don't have a good success rate. But I mean the the fourth to sixth round is like the sweet spot to find centers and guards. Um oh, okay. and I, like the reason is because with tackles, it is very easy to recognize tackles that can't cut it in the nfl like if a tackle has 32 inch arms it's probably just not going to work there's the the Mm. athletic thresholds for tackle are a lot more defined and the tape is it's a it's a lot more just a one-on-one matchup with an edge rusher with a center there is so much um above the shoulders that goes into this is true being good at that position so i mean it's like you can watch tape on a guy. What would almost be more valuable is talking to a guy for two hours at center. So that's why I think you see a lot of later round guys on the interior have a lot more success. Um, Cam Jurgens is the most explosive interior offensive, probably offensive lineman in this class. If I'm not uh, forgetting anyone. Um, but I mean, a, a seven one nine three cone, 99th percentile 99th percentile broad jump. 98th percentile 40 yard dash uh like this guy can get on the move and reach the second level under control he can reset his base in pass protection but there's he, he plays out of control a lot of times there's a lot of whiffs and blown blocks on his tape so he's a project in the sense that he's a developmental guy that like is going to be a very boom bust, not in the, not necessarily in the prospect sense, but like boom bust from play to play, he's going to have just these insane reach blocks and mm. you're going to get him flying on the move on like pin pole. And he's going to be 30 doubt, 30 yards down the field out running receivers. But then he's also just going to, you know, barrel himself into a linebacker and completely whiff the next play, if that makes sense. Um, so that's why he kind of fits the project bill. This next guy, his name is my
0: favorite on the list, I think. Amare Barno, edge out of Virginia Tech. Tell me a little bit about Barno. He's a guy that I I had not even heard in the draft process until you sent me this list of guys. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts on him are.
1: Yeah, Amari Barno is someone that I definitely would not have watched if he didn't test the way that he did. Mm. Um, so 34-inch arms, which you love to see. And then his 40-yard dash... 10-yard split and broad jump were all 99th percentile, 37-inch broad. So, you know, he's, he's uh, the prototypical athlete. His tape is – I wouldn't even call his tape bad. His tape is just weird. They played him in a, a really unconventional role where he'd be kind of like a, a stood-up nose tackle sometimes. He would do Mm. some stuff on the edge, dropped into coverage a lot, played a lot of just roaming Mike linebacker has absolutely nothing in terms of pass rush technique, but it's, it's similar to like Trayvon Walker to a less, a much lesser extent where it's kind of just like a blank slate guy that you're hoping that you can develop the, uh, the traits. And he's a guy that I'm only taking if I'm a team like Baltimore, where I have a, proven success with my coaching staff of developing these later round edge rushers, because it's like tackle edges, is, edge is not a position that's filled with a ton of late round gyms that end up uh, succeeding. All right. Now give me your thoughts on Perry and Winfrey. We're
0: just going to keep motoring along here. Defensive, lineman, Yeah. So
1: out Perry of on Winfrey is another guy. This is someone whose tape is legitimately bad. Uh, his, <laughs> his me. run, his run recognition, like if you th- if you pull a guard or a tackle, you can pretty much throw him off the run fit. He also plays in a defensive scheme that makes it very t- difficult to evaluate front four defenders because they're running a ton of stunts at Oklahoma, but he's got like over 35-inch arms. He was the most explosive defensive lineman at the Senior Bowl, not named Devontae Wyatt, and so it, it caused – I think a lot of people to kind of go back to the tape and be like, where was that in college? Um, And so he's a guy that you've just kind of got these two competing notions of like the prototypical three technique in every single athletic trait, And then also very underwhelming tape. Yeah. I was about to say, he's a second round guy in both uh,
0: the no flags film and consensus big boards.
1: Yeah, and, so and I mean that. To, I to think that's that speaks is bad.
0: It's surprising for a guy at at this, this position. That uh, speaks to, that to the
1: lack of depth at the defensive line position. Okay, I was about to say there must there's just not be a lot to offer. It's kind of like what what uh, we talked about in a couple episodes ago with Jeffrey yep. Simmons. Like, yep, college just isn't pumping out those uh, three techniques like they were five years ago. Why do we think that um, is? Do you have a, a hypothesis on why, or do you think it's just I think a wave that, thing? Well, I think you – I think high school and college players look at the contracts that edge defenders are getting compared Mm. to the contracts that defensive linemen are getting. Slim down and try to play on the edge. If they're – you know, a lot of these guys come into college kind of like as a blank slate in terms of their athletic profile. They'll come in at like 6'4", 250, and it's like, okay, am I putting on, you know, 50 pounds of weight? Like if a guy's sitting at 280 – it it makes a lot more financial sense for him to slim down to two sixty five and uh, be an edge rusher than it does for him to gain fifteen pounds and try to be like a three tech. So that's my. Well, theory. but
0: it's it's creating it's the supply and demand here. It's creating right. Yeah, I mean that's where it's that's like the fun thing about that's swing back. That's the fun thing forth. about
1: positional value and how it kind of fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we to keep it moving like we can you can really copy and paste the Perry on Winfrey Winfrey, uh, synopsis and apply it to Brandon Smith. Okay. Who's my linebacker selection out of Penn state minus the senior bowl. I don't think he was at the senior bowl, but he's a guy that just like doesn't have good tape, but is another one of these just insane athletes. I mean, mm. he's, uh, you know, just going to read off his measurables, six three, two fifty, thirty four 34 and five eighths inch arms, which is 99th percentile. Yeah. Um, he's you know above 90 percentile in the shuttle the vert the 40-yard dash like everything everything that you want um he's he's very uh timid when it comes to taking on blocks and i don't want to say that as like a like a mental mentality accusation like i'm not saying he's afraid of contact it's just he doesn't uh, he's not proactive i guess when it comes to uh, engaging with blocks weirdly though as as one of these project players, he's a very good coverage player. like he doesn't read the run very well, but he's always in in good position in pass coverage, which is kind of an interesting blend of strengths and weaknesses for a prospect. but yeah, I mean he's a guy that uh, it, it, he's another tough evaluation because i the the tape and the combine testing just do not match up at all. interesting. well, another guy that's going to be
0: in past coverage is Tariq Woolen, a cornerback out of UTSA. Um, he's a consensus third round pick, 72 overall. You're not quite as high on him. You got him fourth round pick, 99 overall. Tell me about Tariq.
1: Yeah. So Tariq Woolen um, discussed him briefly when I was sort of comparing him to Zion McCollum. He's a guy that I think is just a little bit too tall to really be a, a great corner. He's six foot. Two four and runs a four two six which is a pretty wild combination there but you know that you kind of just reach that point once you get past six two it's really difficult to be able to turn and change directions and you know get out of a back pedal with the quickness that you need to so i I would be I would be surprised to see Tariq Woolen really be a, a a great NFL corner, but you know that's the fun of the draft process is that there will be these guys that you just can't envision being successful, and then they'll uh, all of a sudden prove you wrong. So yeah, well, this last guy, Sterling Weatherford, he's a
0: safety out of Miami of Ohio. He's the consensus one ninety one overall sixth round draft pick. Um, let's see, where do you have him on your rankings?
1: Uh let's see. So I have him as a mid 7th round player, the 203 overall player. Okay. It's it's funny with Sterling Weatherford when you see like people post screenshots of their mock drafts. Like most people I I don't know. It's it's hard to say because I feel like my film study uh process for the NFL draft just is like so different than most people just because of how much time I put into it. Like I'm watching a ton of players. So it's hard to really, uh, hard to really guess like what casual, I guess, casual fans like watch, you know, like how many players they've like watched highlights of or whatever. But when you get to like the sixth and seventh round, it's like nobody's watched these guys. So you're just, I guess, picking guys that have cool names or whatever i mean like that's that's how i would do it like back before i was really studying <laughs> yeah. this uh with a bunch of effort but yeah sterling weatherford's a guy i always see get mocked to the titans which is why i kind of went on that tangent he's like a budget budget kyle hamilton um <laughs> with you know six foot Dollar four store. two six foot four twenty four, um 32 uh 31 and a half inch arms kind of like a uh like a box slot safety, Sam linebacker sort of guy. I don't really think that he has the range to be a a, a great single high safety four, five, seven. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think day three, if they're, uh, if they are, you know, wanting somebody to replace Dane Crookshank, I could see them showing some interest there We brought in that other guy from Houston that I have not watched. And if I get to the point where I ever watch him, that's a special teamer guy. Yeah. I I don't watch special teams. It's just, I'm not going to say it's not real football, but it's not interesting. Oh, Uh, But yeah, Sterling Weatherford, sure. He's a great special teams guy.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, he's the last guy on our list. So that is it for today's episode though. That was your by position project prospects. Uh, hopefully that's a, a good list of guys that maybe you hadn't heard on other shows elsewhere. Um, but some guys that I'm guessing you will hear when we watch the draft here in a couple of days, that's it for today, but we've got more content coming on this feed almost each and every day. As we get closer and closer to the draft, ne- the next mailback episode will be coming soon. Multiple ways that you can get in that mailback episode, go to our Twitter feeds at Easton freeze at no flags, film at the Titans, 10 BSM go find the latest tweet and all call that we've sent out on all of those accounts for any and all questions, whether it's Titans or NFL or football or otherwise related, we will take anything and everything and answer them with 100% accuracy. And uh, if you want your question for sure to be answered, then go on over to the show on Apple podcasts and leave us a five star rating and review. And then in the review, ask your question. We will take that question. It will be guaranteed to be answered in the next mailbag episode at the very top of the list. You get priority access as long as you leave us a five-star review. So follow No Flags Film on YouTube, subscribe to his Patreon, all that good stuff. For James Foster, I'm Easton Freeze. We'll talk to you soon.